for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. Today we're joined by two Hall of Famers from the class of 97. Between them, they've helped countless alumni land jobs, including yours truly. Both have been extremely involved with the Alumni Association, including help run it. And one even got up at 6.30 a.m. Welcome, Dan Austin, Jeff Wade. Thanks for being here. Good morning, broadcaster. It's good to see you. Hall of Famers. And that puts so much pressure on this. (laughs) (laughs) I, there are so many things I want to ask you both about. I'll start where I start with most of these podcasts, which is each of you tell me how you ended up at Syracuse and getting involved with the radio station. Dan, we'll start with you. So I grew up in the suburbs of Syracuse in Cicero and endured the Hoth planet of snow and <laughs> uh, envisioned myself going somewhere warmer. But uh, <laughs> I remember very distinctly that in my high school, they did announcements for an opportunity for an internship at the college radio station, Z89. And at that point, my experience in uh, broadcasting was occasionally pinch hitting and doing the announcements in high school. So by no means a professional, but I do remember distinctly being in class and that really resonating and going, that sounds cool. I want to check it out. And really the rest is history. You were a summer staffer in high school, right, Dan? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was one of the many interns and uh, did a lot of promotions at the station and uh, got hooked. That set me on the path that I wanted to apply at Syracuse and ultimately attack. Are there names of alumni a couple of years older than you that you remember uh, from your time there as a summer staffer in high school? Yes, many. Jordan Gualiuni and Damian Redmond uh, doing summers uh, with uh, promotions with Jeannie Shad or uh, Betty Keston. I distinctly remember the Dave Gorab era. I mean, the station was hot. It just was fun to be there. And the station was super competitive and I just wanted to be a part of it. I was hooked. And Jeff, how did you end up at Syracuse? So I went to uh, Coventry High School in Coventry, Rhode Island. And my uh, high school had a radio station, 91.5 WCBY, the Rock of Kent County, or at least it was at the time. By the time I left, it was America's new music station because we started playing top 40 music. (laughs) I was there and and I was working my way up and I became the program director my junior year. And one of the DJs who uh, was at that radio, the high school radio station, who went on to Syracuse, who came back and visited and told me all these glorious tales of this radio station, Z89. His name is Jeff Dyson. Jeff uh, was for a time the Friday night party host and he was kind of a pretty hot jock, um, you know, at the radio station. He ended up transferring and going to another school, I think his junior and senior years. But anyway, he would talk up the radio station. I was already considering Syracuse as a journalism school anyway, but the uh, the clincher was when I was going up there on a recruiting trip and I was early acceptance, so I knew I was going to go. But I went anyway to this new house thing where they were trying to talk about all the great things you could do at Syracuse University. And so they show you the video, there's Dick Clark and these awesome, <laughs> you know, these awesome alumni, Marv Alberts up there and Bob Costas. And then they bring out a student to speak and talk about their experience. This is like the spring of 93. Outlocks Dave Gorab. Ah. Dave Gorab talks about, you know, he was the general manager at the time. He's outgoing. He's a senior. He's a rock star. He was talking about his experiences as he and I. And I was like, I want to be that guy. That sounds really, really, really awesome. And so 
I was already probably going to go, but that was like, now I definitely know I need to be, this is the first thing I need to do when I get on campus is go to this radio station. One of the great things about JPZ and the, on the Alumni Association is the great friends made, and there are so many of them. And I know the two of you are very good friends. Tell me how you guys met and became such good friends. I, I think the first time we really saw each other was in the back office where I was probably training to be a promotions uh, 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 in the promotions department and Dan was scheduling music. I'm pretty sure, certain that was how it went down. I don't know if Dan has a different recollection of that. I just remember we were always back there together. Yeah, I mean, we lived in that office. It was a massive healthy space too. It was, uh, <laughs> we were never over fire capacity in that room. But yeah, I think uh, we were in tight quarters and uh, I was using Selector which was an exciting program for music scheduling. And um, that feels like 10 lifetimes ago because we very quickly did just start hanging out and found out we had similar interests. And um, it's funny because now we're deemed as inseparable <laughs> decades later. <laughs> yeah, the way it kind of came about, a couple of people that helped facilitate it, one was Jordan Guadalupe because Jordan was the promotion director at the time. And so I was doing contest hours and I was entering prize forms and all this stuff. There were two computers back there. One was for the uh, promo suite software and the other one was for the selector. And so we're both sitting there, we're sitting next to each other. And so we, you know, that's kind of how we got acquainted. And then the other person that kind of helped was uh, Damien, Governor Dave, because he was very friendly with Dan and they would hang out a lot. And then they started inviting me to hang out with them. And we would go do whatever. Exciting trips to the mall. We would go to the mall. <laughs> and the other thing, too, was that Dan had a car. That's what I was thinking of. Was, we had mobility to leave campus. Dan had this, this old Chevy celebrity, Blue, that was basically our ticket to uh, the greater world. So going to the mall, going to the movie theater, you know, uh, stuff like that. You know, going by records back when that was still a thing. Yeah. That was kind of our bonding experiences. I mean, the place you went back then was the Denny's on Erie Boulevard. Right. There were many nights, many nights spent there late. And it was amazing how many people from the radio station would all go with, and, and separately. Like you could have an informal staff meeting at Denny's. Yeah. It would be like Dan and I and, and Damien would sit at the table. And then across from us is Big Daddy Marvin Nugent, Andy Hecht, Adam Love, Dion would be there. You know, we're all there. There weren't that many late night dining uh, options at the time. And, you know, it was cheap. And we knew we could get in and that they would feed us. So it was the Erie Boulevard annex of WJPZ. I like it. I like it. So you two were instrumental in The Pulse, which for those who don't know, the station flipped formats in the mid 90s. Talk to me about what went into that decision, how that was executed, because this is a period that I really want to make sure we cover in the podcast. You know, I, I think there was a lot that went into that when we were uh, looking at what was happening in the industry and following major stations. Um, you looked at Z100, or you looked at some of these legendary stations across the country, and alternative radio was huge. Uh, the music was hot. Top 40 had really gone through, gosh, I could go on forever about this, but Top 40 had gone <laughs> through such an evolution, and there wasn't mainstream Top 40 radio really at the time. The music was very polarizing. You had basically alternative, and then you had the influence of hip-hop and R&B. So the stations that had been very successful as mainstream top 40s in the 80s and early 90s, were kind of going through an identity crisis. So that was an influence, what was happening in the industry. So one of the things that I think is amazing about the station is that we were self-supported, self-funded. We were associated with the university, but if uh, we needed duct tape for a promotion, we had to buy it. And yeah. if the uh, soundproofing on the wall was faded and shipping, which happened, you know, we had to replace it. And 
um, the station had ups and downs, really more of a function of how many people are contributing to sponsorship and underwriting, but that is no easy task. And when we were the leadership team, we had significant obligations and less sponsorship money coming in. And so we also looked at what could we do to re-engage the community and excite people, have something new to talk about. Those two really stand out as, as some of the big reasons to do it. It was a very thoughtful decision that involved the team over an extended period of time. There, there was a lot that went into that. What were your positions at the station when you made that call? I was the GM. I was the program director, VP of programming. Jeff, what do you remember about the decision to make the transition? Dan's absolutely right. I mean, one of the major influences, the industry was trending in this direction. But I remember one of the bigger influences is there was a weekend that Dan and I went down to New York City. Oh, yeah. And we were visiting um, Mark Verone and Jordan Guagliomi. Mm -hmm. or, or maybe it was Damien. I don't remember. It was one of the three of them. They were down there and we went down to hang out with them for a weekend. And I remember it because we were listening to Z100 the entire way once we could pick up the signal. Sure. Uh, they had gone very like alternative pop leading at that time. And we were like, this radio station is amazing. <laughs> like, this is how you do it. Oh my God. We remembered that. And then as Dan had alluded to, I mean, when we came in into the radio station, we sort of discovered after the fact that the radio station was in a financially challenged position. And we were trying to figure out how are we going to turn this thing around? How are we going to make the radio station so we can keep, you know, one, keep the lights on and two, continue to provide the experience that, you know, everybody's come to expect. And it was a conversation that happened over months because it's no easy task, right? I mean, the radio station had been Z89 and extremely successful as Z89 for so many years. Yeah. And there was a lot of history there. The alumni at the time were much more influential in decisions that were being made because so many of them still communicated with the staff and, and sort of had influence because we all looked up to them. And, you know, there are people working at these big radio stations in New York City and Philadelphia. You know, it, it was a little bit intimidating to you know, really figure out what exactly it was we wanted to do. I mean, there were a couple of people when the alumni that were, were sort of, you know, hey, you know, this would be a terrible idea. <laughs> Dave Gorob was actually one of them. Dave was working at Y100 in Philly at the time and had kind of suggested, you know, hey, you know, think about this. You know, this isn't kind of where the industry's going. And we ended up, I remember, I remember the day, Dan and I both at that time lived at um, Haven Hall. Mm -hmm. We lived in a double that, that year. And so we would go to lunch at the cafeteria at Haven Hall. He and I sat down at the table at Haven Hall and I looked across the table and I was like, I think we should do this. And he was like, okay, well, how, what would that look like? And I remember we sat there for like two hours mm -hmm. and talked through the whole thing. And, you know, we sort of came up with the semblance of the plan. And then the rest of it was trying to figure out, okay, I mean, there were so many things involved. I mean, you're, you're literally talking, we, we, we literally renamed the radio station. We changed the logo. We had to get a completely different imaging guy. We had to get all this music. We had to talk to the record labels. It was a massive undertaking. We didn't do it by ourselves. We had help. We had a lot of people that were, were kind of on board. You know, at the same time, it was also a very controversial thing because there were people at the radio station that did not see any reason that we should change. We ended up having a staff meeting in late November, early December. This is what year, Jeff? This is late 1995. Okay. So we had the staff meeting and we said, guys, here's the situation. You know, and Dan spoke to the economic stuff and I spoke to, here's where the industry's going. And this is where we think we should take the radio station. We need you guys, you guys to be involved and we need your help. And look, if I had known that the Spice Girls and Britney Spears were going to be showing up in 18 months, <laughs> then, then it might've been a very different outcome, but we didn't know that at the time we were 20 years old. I mean, I wasn't even legal, uh, legal to drink yet. And, you know, I'm making these decisions for this radio station 
that are going to have far reaching and long-term effects. It was one of the most stressful experiences of my life, but ultimately one of the most rewarding when we got on the air and kind of upended things for a time in, in Syracuse radio. And to Dan's uh, original point, we made a ton of money in a short period of time. I mean, you know, there was a lot of controversy. We were like front page news on the Daily Orange for a while. <laughs> but yeah, we made a big splash in the market. And that's what we were looking to do because the flamethrower of the early 90s, we wanted to get that buzz on campus and in Syracuse as a whole. And we definitely accomplished that. And in, in the industry, really. Yeah, I still have all the clippings. You think about the bylaws of the radio station, that it's supposed to be a mirroring, you know, what contemporary radio is at the time. And this certainly fit. If you think back to where music was in 95, it was not very poppy. Pop was not very poppy. That was a really big time of alternative. Yeah, I mean, we were playing, you know, that summer, we, Dan and I spent the summer up there and it was it was 89. So at the time and we were playing the format and there were records that we were playing. And I was like, man, this I feel like we're, we, this this road is dried up. I don't know what to do here. Yeah, we were struggling to add music, which was a weird phenomenon, but that was a function of the polarization of music at that time. Yeah. And the thing people forget about the Pulse is that, you know, people think that like, oh, they just went crazy and they started playing rock music. It's like, well, no, you know, we're playing Natalie Merchant, we're playing Jewel, we're playing, you know, the Goo Goo Dolls, you know, name, which is like on every AC station in America these days. Yeah, huge song. And yeah, sure. We're playing some Smashing Pumpkins. We're playing Oasis. We're playing Nirvana. I, yeah, sure. Of course. But those were all hit records. Those are things that you hear now on adult contemporary radio and, you know, you hear them in the supermarket walking around. Yeah, and you want to reach for your cane and your walker with the tennis balls on it when you realize it's supermarket music now. <laughs> it was really popular music at the time. And we never lost sight of that. You know, it's not like we started to start playing Metallica. <laughs> that did not ever happen during the Pulse format. It was of the moment. We were thinking in terms of what are we going to do? How are we going to succeed right now? What's going to be the best thing for this radio station? And it was a great lesson for both of us. And the takeaway for it, for the current students or, or anybody who's you know, looking to you know, advance themselves in their careers is that you have to trust your gut. You have to be willing to take a leap of faith and follow through when you know that you've got something that you think can be successful. And the radio station now today is still a great place for experimentation. I have consciously since that time Never, well, except for the day they changed the format from the Pulse back to the day. I was bummed that day. I remember being very bummed that day. But <laughs> since that time, I have never said one word about anything that the, the students are doing at the radio station in terms of format. It's their classroom. It's their experimentation. It's their time to learn and figure out what works. You know, they've got a, well, now 50 years of alumni that can give them ideas and, and share their knowledge and inspire them to make those choices and experiment. But it's really theirs now. And I, I think that's kind of the enduring lesson of, of that time is that this is a place where you can learn. And, you know, I think somebody said that you learn more from making mistakes than you do from succeeding in some cases. And I, I, I think that's true. So I, I certainly encourage anybody who's, who's there now to you know, not be afraid to trust your instincts, take a chance, and it can reward you. Anything I did not ask either of you about the pulse that's worth mentioning that we didn't cover? You know, one of the things about that era for the radio station was that there's just an extraordinary amount of talent there. I mean, Scott McFarlane is, is you know, <laughs> a, a CBS News correspondent covering the Capitol every day now. Jeff Rawson was on the Today Show and he's doing, I actually, he's a coworker of mine now for doing Rawson reports here at Hearst Television. You know, Mimi Zhang is a very successful anchor uh, out in Seattle. Dan, myself, 
Pete Dibler, God rest his soul, huge DJ in Washington, D.C., and then had his own network for a number of years. I mean, we had some amazing people working at that radio station. Really, with a confluence of incredible talent and creativity. Jeff, you're kind of alluding to this when it comes to lessons you've learned at the radio station that you've now applied throughout your career and in the time since you were at JPZ. Take us through your career uh, post-graduation. So came out of school convinced that I was going to be a DJ, music director, program director. I was going to meet bands and give away concert tickets and live the, the DJ rock and roll lifestyle. And I did for about two years. <laughs> Dan and I actually reunited and worked together post-graduation at a, a small radio station in Manchester, Vermont, WEQX. It was very random, but a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I spent a year there. Dan spent about seven months there. I went to Woodstock 99. Mm -hmm. um, let me tell you, that that's a whole separate podcast. And many documentaries on it, too. <laughs> the very small piece of my hair is in one of those documentaries. I'm sitting next to two people, friends of mine who got on camera. I didn't get on camera. Anyway, I was there and I was making absolute dirt money. Uh, I was flat broke. Um, Dan and I were living together in an apartment right down the street from the radio station. That was the shortest commute I've ever had to work. Yeah, we, we, walked, we walked to work. It's an amazing radio station. It's still on the air. Yeah. It's broadcast out of an old Victorian era house in, uh, in Manchester, Vermont. It technically reached Albany. Great radio station, great history. I was making no money. I was miserable. Uh, Dan ended up taking a job in, in Albany at a Clear Channel station, I believe at the time. Yeah. And was a sales manager there. So I was, I was left behind. So I'm, now I'm by myself and I'm miserable. And I wanted to go home. I called uh, a former boss of mine who I worked part-time for. And he's like, you know, I got a talk show producer position. You want to be a talk show producer? And I was like, sure, let, let's try it. I'll do it for a few months and I'll find a DJ job. You know, 22 years later, I'm the program director of <laughs> WBAL in Baltimore, one of the you know, most successful news and talk stations in the country. I'm the, both the director of programming and I'm the news director. So that kind of set me on the path that ultimately got me to where I am now. I, I worked in Providence for several years. I was assistant program director. I became a program director and news director in Portland, Maine, where I spent about nine years. And then um, I, I spent the 2016 election cycle in New Hampshire working for an outfit called NH1 News, where I was the news director for a network that service stations around New Hampshire, and then uh, also program director of a few radio stations. So, and that led me to here. Where you start is not always where you end, but it's been a really extremely rewarding ride. And frankly, you know, as I look back on it now, my sensibilities are much better suited for what I'm doing now than perhaps if I was still, you know, giving away concert tickets and and spinning records, I, I don't know if I would nearly be as satisfied as I am now doing the, the work that I'm doing. And I, uh, I I do owe you an apology for eh, 15 or so years now because oh, uh, you gave me my very first radio gig in Providence. You needed a board op on Saturdays at your AM station, WPROAM. So you gave me my very first job in radio after college. A year later, I was in a production studio working on a demo tape and did not realize that the radio station had been off the air for approximately 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Probably the absolute worst moment of my career. And uh, I remember getting called into the office on Monday, and here I am, Jeff Wade, one of our great alumni, has given me this first radio job. And, well, to be blunt, I screwed the pooch. So I remember coming into this meeting with Jeff, and uh, the program director was, remember me his name? Uh, I believe David Bernstein at the time. Yes. Um, and I sat down, and I said, 
Guys, there is nothing you can say to me that will make me feel worse than I already do about the situation that's happened. I think it's probably in everybody's best interest if I if I give you my notice and I leave. And to Mr. Bernstein's credit, he said, look, you're a 22-year-old kid. I'm not going to ruin your career over this. Like, you know, you, you've had the good sense to, to walk away from this. As far as I'm concerned, this didn't happen. Let it be a life lesson. So I was always appreciative of the two of you uh, for that very, very valuable lesson. I learned in my career. And then lo and behold, a couple months later, I ended up getting my first full-time on-air gig in Vermont. It all worked out in the end. But I was always appreciative of, number one, you helped me land that gig. And number two, the way in which uh, you handled a colossal F-up on my part, I've got to say. Well, look, I mean, people, you know, I think that the other thing, too, for people is that you, you can't be perfect. And I make mistakes all the time in my job. It's very hard. And, and you have to give yourself a little bit of slack now. It's really about how you respond in those moments, right? And you responded, you know, by holding yourself accountable. And I think accountability is a big, important part of people owning, you know, their, their work and their, their mistakes and, you know, showing that they can learn from them. And I, I think that's probably the big, the big lesson there. And, you know, it's something that I still, you know, deal with myself. And trust me, there have been many other things uh, far worse in my radio career since then that I've had employees do that uh, pale in comparison to that, that oversight. Well, okay, well... <laughs> I appreciate that. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Dan, over to you. You have had an incredible career all over this great country of ours. Recently married, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. Tell us about your journey post-JPZ. Uh, starting at EQX in Vermont, then you head to Albany. Let's pick it up where Jeff left off the story there. Yeah, my goodness. I definitely had the uh, radio gypsy life for quite some time. I started my first professional job was while I was still at WJPZ. I actually did the on-air route for a bit. Um, so I did weekends at WPXY in Rochester. Mm-hmm. Um, my claim to fame there is I worked for Ryan Seacrest's boss. Um, he wasn't Ryan Seacrest's boss at the time, but I found as I was finishing up school, though, that I looked up to people who'd gone into the sales side of things, such as Jordan Gualyumi mm-hmm. and Joanna Nicholson and seeing uh, the route that Jeannie Shad took. So I actually wanted to focus on the sales side. Um, so actually the last year that I was at JPZ, I got a full-time sales gig at New City, which became Cox, and they had launched Hot 107.9. That set me on my radio sales career, which led me to go back to Rochester after graduation, um, reunite with Jeff for my first uh, general sales manager job at Manchester, Vermont, and then uh, came down from the mountains to Albany, which <laughs> I spent a lot of time in Albany. I uh, was in sales there for me many years, sales manager. I got my first GM gig running a group of locally owned stations. And then actually, incidentally, came back to Syracuse to run Crosstown, Arch Rival, 93Q. Boo! <laughs> um, got to work with the legendary Ted and Amy, who are still on the air waking up Central New York, which is an incredible feat in our yes. industry. Yes. It was good to be back home and... Uh, be close to my brother and sister. And uh, my daughter was born in Syracuse, which was very special. From there, I continued on the journey. Um, I spent some time in uh, Seattle with CBS Radio as a director of sales. 
came back to Albany on the boomerang uh, to run stations for Town Square Media. And then uh, actually almost 10 years ago, came out to Southern California. I came out to be director of sales for stations here. And as is the way in radio, the company I work for got sold and I got the big zig. Yeah. New management. So after that, following uh, some of the lessons we learned uh, with uh, doing the format flip with the pulse um, and taking risks, I took risks and ventured out of radio, which was, it was, that was tough because that was my identity yeah. for so long. And, and Jag, I, I watched you reinvent yourself and it's just absolutely amazing. But Thank you. when you only know that, it's hard to envision yes. yourself doing something else. I did a few things. I, I worked for a digital video content company in Santa Monica for a bit. Um, I actually launched my own business and uh, uh, ran that a series of high-end magazines and, and did that for several years. It was fun, but I didn't make a lot of money at it. And uh, now I'm in television and I've actually been in TV now for three and a half years. And uh, it's fun because I'm taking what I learned in radio, just selling ideas and selling concepts and storytelling, but doing it through video instead of just audio. Um, so it's been an interesting journey. And as Jeff said, when you're in your 20s, you have a vision of it's going to be very linear and it's going to go one way. And the reality is uh, life is very twisting and turning in your career. But if you continue to learn and adapt, you'll be successful. So what is your current role now, Dan? Sales manager at the CBS affiliate in San Diego, KFMB Television. And not to mention, you are living every Syracuse native's dream when it comes to weather because you're in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, if I had traveled to San Diego in my 20s, I would have come here a lot sooner. <laughs> There's a reason people come to the beach and never leave. But I do miss seasons. and. Uh, it's been fun for me to see the pictures of uh, alumni and friends in Buffalo, New York, uh, enduring an excessive amount of snow and uh, seeing the Bills have to play in Detroit, um, but being able to do that from afar under palm trees. <laughs> you can, it's fun to watch from afar. It's uh, November 22nd. We're recording this. This is right after that uh, record snowstorm in Buffalo for our listeners. Guys, you've weaved in all the questions that I typically ask, which is, you know, what do you learn at the radio station? What experiences informed you? What are some connections you've made at the radio station? My last question for the both of you is if either or both of you can come up with one funny story from back in the day that you still look back on and laugh. Oh, I will never forget the time that Dan and I stuffed a folding table into the back of his uh, Chevy Celebrity and drove to the New York State Fair for a live broadcast. <laughs> I, I believe it was the fall of 95 and we were running the station at the time. And those days you got space at the State Fair, everybody did, and everybody broadcast from there for the two weeks. And of course, you know, they didn't design the State Fair to be convenient for Syracuse students. So of course it was always the two weeks right around the beginning of the semester. Yep. First of all, people are still coming onto campus, mm -hmm. still getting their act together. And you know, that's typically the time of the year where the staff is like at its thinnest, right? We haven't had recruitment yet. And you know, everybody's, you know, all the summer interns are leaving. So there was nobody to do it one day. And I remember Dan and I were just like, oh, crap, we gotta go. We gotta go out there. And we, we had, it was a dash job. Like I remember we had to stop to get batteries or something. <laughs> it was a mess. We didn't have batteries for the microphones or something. And it was a disaster. And, you know, we're out there and the lengths that you go to, to do, you know, all the things that, you know, other radio stations take for granted. I mean, you know, a remote like that today is, is like, you know, it's a cell phone. It's pretty humdrum. Right. But, you know, got to set up the Marty, you know, you got to call the radio station and, you know, all this, all this stuff. So it was, um, it was an adventure. It was, it was a fun, it was a fun adventure, but it was, 
I remember we're driving down 690 and, and the, the, the table is sticking out the back window. <laughs> and we're like, we couldn't, like, it was too big and we couldn't figure out how to close it up all the way. And it is, uh, it is crazy. Dan, anything, any stories that stick out to you? There's two that I'll share. One is Jeff and I are alive because we survived on the McDonald's Monopoly game, <laughs> uh, keeping the station on the air for the summer with a skeleton crew. And uh, as such, not having any money because we were, we were living at the radio station. So Monopoly was not just a fun exercise. It was survival skills. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. I was actually talking to my kids the other day because I think we were watching a show and uh, it was dated and they had pagers. And hmm. I explained to them for this brief period of time in technology that pagers were advanced. And so I did this deal with Page New York and traded out pagers for like full exec staff. Why we needed that level of connectivity and why that was important, who knows? But we thought <laughs> we were so cool. I remember getting a page that Jamie Bell had locked herself out of the studio and hence we were off the air. <laughs> yes. We were in class together. Yeah, we were in the school of management. We were sitting in the school of management, some auditorium there. We both get page and we both had to go running. Yeah, it was like urgent, like running to the station, jumping out, coming in and having to unlock that creaky door into the studio because it like inadvertently had gone locked, like life threatening type stuff. That was why we had that moment. <laughs> My other favorite part of that is that none of us had memorable pagers except for AC Corrales. Yes. ACs, and I still remember his ACs. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. ACs was 241 ACAC. Yes. I don't remember if he gave it out over the air or not. I don't think he did. But I just remember that was like he would just tell everybody, if you need to get a hold of me, it's 241 ACAC. Hit me on the <laughs> hip, kid. Oh my God. Hilarious. AC Corral is great friend night party DJ. Absolutely. One of my fond memories comes from alumni year. Uh, Jeff will probably know where I'm going here very quickly, which is during the American League Championship Series. Uh, we're at Fagan's, uh, with apologies to Dan here, when the Yankees are beating the Red Sox 19-8 and all hope is lost and the Red Sox are down 3 nothing. I remember Jeff buying shots for um, him, me, Bossy, and everybody that was there. Just the our miserable Red Sox fans going, oh my God, this is the worst. This is awful. And then flash forward two weeks later and, and the miracle happens. But the low point was shots at Fagan's getting dropped 19 to 8 in game three. I remember some guy in a random shilling jersey standing next to me. And I remember buying him one, too, because I was just was I was in my feelings at the time. And I just <laughs> I wanted everybody to, to, you know, to ease everybody's pain a little bit. I believe that was the same weekend that the um, uh, that was one of the fall conferences. If I yeah, it would have been. Mm -hmm. I believe that was the um, the genesis of the uh, the now discontinued Rick Wright drinking game. Which, if you haven't heard, go back and listen to the Rick Wright episode of the podcast where I ask him about his perspective on Rick Wright bingo and when he figured it out. That is still one of my right. favorites of all time that we created. <laughs> all right. Dan Austin, Jeff Wade from the Class of 97, two Hall of Famers, two incredibly influential alumni in everything the station uh, did as students and as alumni and then the Alumni Association as well. Thank you both for your time today. Been a real pleasure. Always good to see you, Jack. This was fantastic. Thanks again, guys. It was great to reminisce. We could just go on and on. This was this was awesome. 
The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.